0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. We've studied throughout this book how king after king after king has gone by. Uh, By tonight, we're in the seventh king of Israel, Ahab. And every king of Israel was more wicked than the first. And finally, we're down here at king number seven, Ahab. Just a wicked, wicked man. Wicked King Ahab didn't follow after God at all, didn't follow the Lord's statutes. And re- Judah in the south, you know, they kind of had a couple good kings, and those kings struggled, but had a couple good kings. And, and, uh, and tonight we see uh, a king, uh, Jehoshaphat. We're going to see him, and he's an awesome king, the son of Asa, who was an awesome king, uh, awesome men of God, loved the Lord. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we're at tonight. We're at King Ahab, the seventh king of Israel, a wicked man, and King Jehoshaphat, the, the uh, I don't know what number he is, maybe like, I think we're on like five kings of Judah now, and, and he's an, an, a good man, an, a godly man. And so last week we studied that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria in the north, and maybe you have a Bible map in the back, you might just want to just flip there, Syria was north of Israel. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, came and, and basically told, told King Ahab, you know what, I'm going to be your new landowner. <laughs> and you better give me all your women, all your children, and all that you have. And, uh, and so, you know, Ahab said, well, okay, I'll give you all my, my women, all my children. And then uh, Ben-Hadad said, even more than that, I just want everything that you have. And King Ahab said, I can't do that. And so the Lord brought prophets to Ahab and said, you know what? Go up and fight, Ben-Hadad. God's given him over into your hand. Well, who's going to fight? And he said, the prophet said, the young men, the young men in Israel are going to fight. Who's going to lead them? And this is just a testimony of God's grace. Ahab, you're going to lead them. Wicked King Ahab was given a chance to be used by the Lord and to bring God glory. And so Ahab went into battle. They rocked Syria's world. <laughs> and yet Syria retreated for the winter time. And then, so, uh, so Israel prepared during the winter to go attack them in the spring again when kings go out to battle. They went, attacked them again. Uh, Ben-Hadad of Syria said, you know dressed himself in sackcloth put a uh, rope around his neck and said i'll be your slave just don't kill me and you remember that king ahab said you're my brother man you're my brother don't worry about it hop up in the chariot with me we can still be pals and so they went off they made a treaty together and then a prophet had his buddy bust him in the face Make it, made himself bleed He put a bandage on it And he went up before King Ahab And you remember what he said He said, King Ahab uh, I was just given a, a prisoner to watch And my commander told me That if I let him go It's either going to cost me my life Or I need to pay him a certain amount A lot of money And I got doing stuff And this prisoner escaped What do I do? And King Ahab said You've just judged yourself I guess you're going to have to die And then the prophet pulled off that bloody bandage and the king recognized him as a prophet. And the prophet said, well, you know what? The Lord just delivered King Ben-Hadad into your hands and you let him go. You were supposed to kill him, but you let him go. So guess what, buddy? Your life is going to be required at your hands. And so at the end of chapter 21 or chapter 20, verse 42 it says, so then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you've let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel, King Ahab, went to his house, sullen and displeased, and came to Samaria. So he, he's angry at that word from the prophet. Uh, that word sullen literally speaks of like having a thundercloud above your head. And so if you if you like cartoons just picture King Ahab going back to Samaria with a big thundercloud sullen and displeased and pouting. And so we see how he deals with this pouting in verse 1 of chapter 21. <clears throat> and it came to pass after these that uh, after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near next to my house and for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth in money. And so an interesting thing here is Israel wasn't really known for its vegetables. It was known for its vineyards and here Uh, Naboth has a nice vineyard going a lot of the other countries they specialized in the vegetable gardens Egypt and Syria They were vegetable people (laughs) And something you'll notice about Ahab is that over the years He's just been going down here downhill, downhill 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 in a downhill spiral Becoming more like the other kings of the nations surrounding it Here's a beautiful vineyard which Israel is a picture of a vineyard The church, <laughs> believers in Jesus it, It's all a picture of a vineyard That's kind of how God works And here Ahab wants to basically destroy this beautiful vineyard and, and be like the other countries and do vegetables And it's just a picture, it's kind of subtle Of what's going on in this king's life He's just becoming, we're going to see it a lot through these next two chapters We're going to see that he, he's just becoming like the other Gentile kings in a big way So give me, you know, give me your vineyard and I'll trade you for another one or, or I'll buy it from you, whatever. In verse three, but Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance or give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now in the law, and you guys remember when Joshua was coming into the land, they, they divided up these lands, uh, for each tribe and the tribes were not to sell their land to another tribe or, or vice versa. And so you got to give it to, to Naboth here. He's, he's just being obedient, saying, this is my inheritance. I'm not supposed to sell it to a guy from another tribe. I, I would be breaking the law. And so it's cool. We just see Naboth being obedient here. And so Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down his, on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So that little thundercloud above his head has become this giant lightning bolty thunder thundercloud. And does this remind you of, of anybody, parents, you know, like a little spoiled kid or a little, little kid not getting his way going in? And I remember... Running in and throwing myself on the couch or on my bed and putting the pillow over my face And just screaming as loud as I could into that Anybody else know those times? No? I actually don't remember that Um, I've seen it In some of your children Um, You know, he's just acting like a spoiled little Spoiled little boy, it won't give me my vineyard, you know And so here comes his wife Jezebel Now remember Jezebel, the wickedest woman in the Bible Wicked witch of the north, we call her Jezebel, his wife, verse five, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? You know, he's not eating, you know, not drinking. But uh he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezebel, like, give me your vineyard for money you know, he's just totally whining. Um and I, here's what I said. He won't, and he said, I won't give you my vineyard. And so, um if my voice and accents annoying you, just be annoyed by Ahab. It's it's his fault. Um Verse 7, then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel, for goodness sakes. (laughs) That's been added by Rory. Um, Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. In other words, Ahab, you're the king. You can do whatever you want. Why are you here pouting, just be a king and, and go and take it. Go kill the guy if you want to. But, you know, since you're being such a little weakling about it, you know, me, your wife, I'll step up to the plate and I'll do it for you. And, um, you know, this was the way that that Jezebel had always known. You know, she was from uh, Tyre and Sidon. She was from uh, she was not a Jew. She was a, a pagan wife. And, you know, the Gentile kings, this is how they rolled. You know, take what you want. You know, lord it over them with a rod of iron. But Jesus said that's not how it should be. He says that to his disciples as they're fighting about who is the greatest among them. He says, you've heard, you know, that the Gentiles lord it over one another. But with you guys, it ought not be so. For whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And the kings were supposed to be serving Israel, not Showing you, well, I'm the boss, I want that vineyard, I'm going to take that vineyard. I want this, I'm going to take that. And, and I'm going to rule you with a rod of iron. But they were to be serving, they were to be leading by example. And that's just not at all what Jezebel was counseling, uh, and that's not at all what Ahab was going to do. And so, verse 8, she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city at Naboth, she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men scoundrels before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, and it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, seated Naboth with high honor among the people, and two men, scoundrels, or worthless men, men who could be bought. They came in and they sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king." Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And so one of the sad things about this is this is the elders of Israel who feared Jezebel. They feared Jezebel and they feared wicked King Ahab more than they feared the Lord to the point of being obedient to the Lord. Instead, they feared man and you know, Jesus says, "Don't fear men who have no power over, you know, destroying you or destroying your soul, but fear Jesus or fear God who has the ability to destroy both your body and your soul in hell." Now the Proverbs tell us that the fear of man is a snare. But to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so sadly, these men, you know, they feared Jezebel. There may have been one of them. They're like, I don't really have a piece about doing this, you know, because what was this? What what are we reading about here? We're reading about covetousness. You know, ooh, that's a nice vineyard over there. You know, they're breaking the law. You know, Ahab is coveting. We're reading about premeditated murder. We're reading about bearing false witness and not one of these guys steps up to the plate and says, this is wrong. What are we doing here? Well, you know that Jezebel, she's been slaying the prophets by the truckload. I'm pretty sure we should just side with her. And the sad thing is, is I'm afraid that the, the end for these elders is worse than what would happen if Jezebel would have, um, would have taken the sword to them. Another sad thing about all this is it says that, so they went through with this, they proclaimed a fast, and then at the feast after the fast, uh, you know, they, they uh, brought this matter before the, the people, and, uh, and it says here that they did stone Naboth, but one of the sad things is that we'll read about in a few weeks in 2 Kings is that they also stoned his sons, you know, why just stone Naboth when his sons are the inheritance, you know, will inherit this vineyard? Let's kill his sons too. And so they shed just much innocent blood. And You know, a, a man that feared God and wanted to keep his commandments by not giving away his vineyard uh, was, was murdered for it. <clears throat> and then verse 15. It came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for the money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of uh, Naboth the Jezreelite. So he gets what he wants, he takes matters into his own hands, and uh you know does something that's not all that together different than what David did uh, with Bathsheba and with Uriah. And, um, and yet, we're going to see a little bit, Just and, and most of you know what the difference is. What's the difference between Ahab's sin here and what David did in 2 Samuel chapter 11? But in verse 17, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. So, uh, see that, where's Elijah going to find Ahab? You know, he's going to find him enjoying the the plunder of his sin. You know, kind of like telling your little kids, you know, don't get into the chocolate bars you know or don't get into the cookie jar you know and pretty soon you're in another room and you hear the clankety clank or the unwrapping of the foil and you go in the other room and there's just chocolate all over and they don't know you're there you know and and uh, oh oh, oh," you know they're just totally caught red-handed in their sin this morning i usually study on wednesdays down at my kitchen table and this morning i wanted to study upstairs we have kind of like this funky den thing with a skylight, no windows, just a skylight. Like, that seems like a quiet place to study. It's right by Russell's bedroom. He has a problem with just laying in bed. You, know, you hear him bouncing all around. He always gets in trouble. But I'm there typing, and all of a sudden I hear, um, I hear his bedroom door open. You know, He should be in bed. He should not be out of bed. And I um, hear the open, and I just stick my head around. I'm still sitting in my chair. I just stick my head around. And he locks eye contact with me, you know closes the door, (laughs) and I go, I open it, what should you be doing right now? Sleeping, you know, it's just, you know, caught in his sin, and so um, here we see, and that's how I communicate with him too, you are in sin, yes, and uh, so here we have, that's, that's exactly where Ahab is, just, you know, probably already started cutting down the vines and planting carrots, that's probably what he's doing right now. And so, Elijah, this is what you're to say to him in verse 19. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, Dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. And so notice in verse 19 that, uh, that Jezebel wasn't the one Held responsible for this sin, the sin of the letter being sent out and the 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 you know turning on Naboth. She wasn't one, not that she won't, as she stands before the Lord, not that she won't be held accountable, but notice that the ultimate responsibility, the chief responsibility, went on the head of the home. It went on the head of the home. And so just what a word to us as men of the household. It's a word to me. You know, just the things we let into our home, the things that we expose our spotless bride to, you know, you know, Ephesians tells us that on that day we see Jesus, we're to present our wives as spotless brides to him. And, uh, you know, I definitely don't say this to you guys without just, you know, needing to work on that in my life as well, knowing that I'm going to stand before the Lord and be held accountable to what what my family, how they live and, and how righteous they are and um and so Ahab is is the chief responsible responsibility for this and um and and there's this prophecy that the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth the dogs shall lick your blood even yours and so kind of uh some gross prophecy here but we're going to see it fulfilled uh in, in the time to come not just in in Ahab but uh in his heritage as well in his sons and then verse 19 or excuse me um, verse 20 so ahab said to elijah have you found me O my enemy and he answered i have found you because you've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the lord and if you know much about ahab and elijah's relationship you know that they're Greetings are always very similar. You remember back in chapter 18, when Obadiah found, or Elijah found Obadiah. And he said, Obadiah, go tell Ahab to meet me, to come and meet me. And, uh, and so when Ahab came and, and met Elijah, uh, how did he greet him? It, it wasn't a kiss on the cheek and it wasn't a firm handshake. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, you can just flip back there if you want. Uh, verse 17 When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. I'm not the troubler here. You're the one who's practicing wickedness. It's because of your sin and all your father's sins and the kings of Israel sin that this three-and-a-half-year uh, famine has been happening. It's not because of me. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. It's your sin. And so now here we see in chapter 21, is that you, O my enemy? <laughs> you know, is that you? How did he say again? Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answers, I have found you because you've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, hey, I might be your enemy, but you're the one that's causing all the trouble. You're the enemy of God. And man, isn't that the state that we're in before we find Jesus? Romans tells us that we're at war with God. You know, Even if you're a good person, quote unquote, you are at war with God because your sins haven't been covered by his blood. Your sin and him are butting heads. And here, Ahab, he's, his sin is is causing him to be an enemy with God, and, and Elijah just says, "Hey, I'm not the enemy with you. You're an enemy of God's, and that's what First Thessalonians chapter four ends up saying. You know, he who rejects they, these sayings does not reject me, but rejects God, who's also given us His Holy Spirit. And so their greetings are always are always very similar, and. And, uh, you know, Ahab calls Elijah his enemy. And, you know, wherever people are living in dark, sinful lifestyles, people of the light are going to be enemies of theirs, you know. And Jesus says that's going to be the case. You know, they hated Jesus. They're going to hate us as well. The darkness doesn't like the light. The light exposes the things that are hidden in the darkness, Ephesians tells us. And nobody likes it when their sin is exposed, you know, but that's what light does. And so, um, you know, just people living in, in, in the darkness uh, are enemies of those in the light. And so here Elijah is accused of that. Notice he also says in that you've sold yourself to do evil. And we see that Ahab has, has come to some point where he was, you know, you've heard the term sell your soul to the devil. That's exactly what has happened. He has sold his soul. For what? You know, for, for women, for Jezebel, for um, a vineyard. You know, he went through all that murdering and lying and premeditated. Mur- for a vineyard? You'd sell, you know, and Jesus says... You know, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And then he goes on to say, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's your soul worth tonight? You know, you, you young guys, you know, is, is your soul, your eternity worth the drug use or worth the habitual pornography? You know, or, or worth, worth the covetousness or the pride? You know, you, you older guys, you know, it, it, not just the young people. Man, I just feel like even there's just a word for the young guys today. You know, what is your soul worth? What will you exchange it for? That relationship? You know, is the relationship worth going to hell over? You know, or is the love of the rush or the love of the buzz, you know, is it worth it? What are you going to sell your soul for? You know, I think the rhetorical answer or the rhetorical question has the, the simple and nothing. <laughs> simple answer, nothing, nothing is worth my soul. I give up anything to be a right standing relationship with Jesus so I can go to heaven. But Ahab, apparently he had, he had put monetary value on his soul. You know, it's worth this many women and this many vineyards and this many palaces and this and that. And um, it's just a, a very real wake-up call to Ahab there. Verse 21, Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab Every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I hope for your sakes you don't have a King James Version tonight because um kicks it up to the PG-13 level. You have it, don't you, Ken? You dog, you. <clears throat> yeah, so don't don't read the King James Bible. You'll fall into sin. Yeah, quiet, Ken. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, and, I'll, and I'll, you know, I'm going to cut off every male from Ahab, both bond and free. Verse 22, I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam. Uh, who was Jeroboam? First king of Israel. That's pretty easy. Jeroboam and Rehoboam. That rhymes. They were both the first kings. Then Jeroboam of Israel, Rehoboam of Judah. I'm going to make your, your house like the house of Jeroboam. All the boys died because of sin. And like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation By which you've provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And so because of wickedness, he's going to cut off the house of Ahab. And and he did it to the other kings who wouldn't repent. He's going to do it to Ahab uh, who won't repent. In verse 23, and concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. So they're going to become, you know, puppy chow, basically. And, and, you know, that was a big thing for the, you know, they they needed their burial place. That was a very special thing. And he's saying, your sin, even after death, uh, the effects of your sin, the consequences are going to, they're just going to continue. And uh, we're going to read about those bloody scenarios those bloody scenes of jezebel and all his sons in the next book of second kings verse 25 but there was no one like ahab no one like ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the lord because jezebel his wife stirred him up and so like i've said before the kings of israel were kind of like a snowball you know they started out Small wicked you know and it just got bigger And bigger and you know here we're at Ahab No one's been as wicked but Notice why what was the cause In Ahab's life That woman Jesus calls her Jesus calls her in Revelation chapter 2 That woman Jezebel Who called Who caused the prophets to fall into Immorality in Revelation you see Sexual immorality That woman Jezebel Provoked or, or Um stirred yeah thank you stirred him up to sin and if you'll just flip back to first kings chapter 11 man first kings chapter 11 verse 1 can you just remember that everybody you remember where this is first kings chapter 11 verse 1 we're warned solomon's life is a warning that this will happen that the pagan spouse will stir you or provoke you to sin and verse 1 some of you've heard it so many times but Man, we'd be an heir not to touch on it, you know, whenever it comes up as we're just walking through the word. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So what's going to happen, young ladies, as you start dating a non-believing young man? What's going to happen? Your heart will be turned away from the Lord to serve his gods. Because his number one priority in his life is not Jesus. It's going to be anything and everything else but Jesus. Young men, what's going to happen if you go and, 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 and marry and date a non-believing girl? The exact same thing. You're going to find yourself, and now you might not be bowing down to some funky statue, talking some funky language you've never heard before you might. <laughs> I don't know if that happens around Prineville. But, um, you know, but you'll find yourself doing the things that she does, and it's going to take you away from your relationship with Jesus. All of a sudden, you won't be in fellowship as, as much. All of a sudden, you won't be in the Word as much. All of a sudden, you're going to be isolating yourself, and you're going to be distant from fellowship. You know, you might full on start, you know, taking up these other hobbies or these other passions that, that, you know, to him, it's his God is NFL, you know, or his God is hockey or his God is hunting, bow hunting, man. You got to take the full month and a half and you got to get that big bull, you know, or his God is this or that, or his God is his job. And you're just going to find your life being wrapped around his occupation and you're just going to find that your marriage it's not going to be Christ-centered. And so the very real warning is there. And that's why in 1 Corinthians Paul tells us Paul tells us to not be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. You know, for what fellowship has God with an idol? There's no fellowship there. There's no comparison. And so it's just a very real warning that, you know, I never I never want to just be like, hey, you know, we're talking about we're talking about, um, you know, Pharaoh's army going into the Red Sea. Hey, by the way, have you heard the passage about not dating non-believers? You know, it's, uh, no, you know, here we are in a passage where Ahab's, Ahab, you know, God's heart for Ahab was that he be used 100% for his glory and for his fame and that Ahab have eternal hope. In fact, we just saw in the last chapter, God's grace extended to Ahab, Ahab, I'm going to be with you, man. I'm going to fight the battle and you'll win. Just turn to me. Give me all your hope. Give me all that you are. But we see that woman Jezebel just kept turning him, kept turning him uh, to serve those other gods, specifically Baal. So, gosh, please never let that be cliche to you. Never let it be. Oh, you know that v- passage in First Corinthians. Don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Oh, here he goes again. Don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Oh, I knew he was going. Ah, that you know. It can be so. But can't all the passages be like that? You know. How many times you hear people throughout? Judge not, judge not, judge not. You know. Or man, daily. Let's let the word be fresh to us, huh? Let's let the word have meaning. Uh, and so, yeah, that's exactly what his relationship with Jezebel. Uh, did to him stirred him up to sin, verse twenty six, and he behaved very abominably in following idols or loathe loathsomefully. I don't sorry, I don't really know the plural for that. You English teachers are wanting to kill me right now. He he his his sin was loathsome before the Lord. You know, there's the snowman, then there's the abominable snowman. Ah, you know, no one likes the abominable. You know, there's King Ahab and there's abominable King Ahab, you know? And so, you know, this, he stirred up wrath because of his sin. The Lord loathed his sin. <clears throat> was the abominable snowman thing a little bit much? Yeah? Okay. I apologize. High school pastor, coming out at me. Sorry. It's still there a little bit. Um, you know, in following these idols, his idolatry was abominable. According to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of uh, Israel. You know, the people that lived in the land before Joshua led the children of Israel, and they were so wicked, so perverted, and we're going to study in a little bit just how, how incredibly wicked they were that the land vomited them out. And in Leviticus chapter 18, the warning is there to the children of Israel that when you go into this land, do not marry those women or men <laughs> Do not worship their gods. Don't even think about their gods. Because when you start doing that, the land's going to vomit you out as well. You can read that the exact phrasing there in Leviticus chapter 18. And so here they are following, you know, here's Ahab doing exactly what the Amorites had done. And uh, verse 27, So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. And so, a really neat passage here. Uh, You know, Ahab's very concerned by this stern word I mean, imagine if somebody came and prophesied And and their prophecies have always been true You know, they've called down fire from heaven They've made it not rain And they've made it rain And then they come up and say Because you've rebelled against God Dogs are going to lick your blood They're going to eat your wife And they're going to eat your sons There was something about the sternness of that warning from Elijah That, ooh, Goodness (laughs) No chihuahua is going to drink my blood, you know, and he, he repents. By the way, that is the breed of dog that is over there in Israel. No, not true. You know, so I got to repent. Man, I got to mourn over my sin, and it's really a beautiful thing that happened uh, to Ahab here. He mourns over his sin. He fasts. He lays in sackcloth. He went about mourning. And man, isn't this just a beautiful picture of repentance in our lives? When we're genuinely grieved. You know, godly sorrow, the Bible tells us, godly sorrow brings repentance. And when we look at our sin, and when we look at what Jesus went through to pay for our sin. Man, I just pray that in all of us, and in myself included, when we see our sin, we would weep. And we would hate it, and we would want to vomit it out. And we see in Daniel, if you'll flip over to Daniel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, Daniel 9. You know, Daniel was a a Judean boy, and at about the age of 15, Nebuchadnezzar came in, the king of Babylon, and took all the people of Judah exiled, took them captive. And as the years went by and, and Daniel was obedient to the Lord and shown favor by the Lord, one day Daniel was, was considering Jeremiah the prophet's words. That, that because they were in sin, they were going to be taken away captive for 70 years. 70 years of captivity. And look in Daniel 9.1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, blah, 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 verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. It wasn't even specifically Daniel's sin that the children of Judah were being held captive by. It It was his whole nation's sin. And we just see the evidence in his heart of of repentance and even just confessing his people's sin. And man, if you get the time tonight before you go to bed, read the rest of Daniel chapter 9 because it's a beautiful prayer of repentance. I mean, he's just weeping. He's just pouring himself out. You know, he, he, he says things like, Lord, not for our name's sake, forgive us, but for your name's sake, forgive us. Not, you know, for your own glory, be merciful to us. You know, we're desperate for your mercy. You know, you could also read, uh, I believe it's Psalm 51, the, the psalm that David prayed after he was caught uh, by Nathan the prophet. Uh, that he prayed, you know, and he he just cried out. Yeah, Psalm 51, he just cried out in repentance, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. And you know, it's in that section there in Psalm 51 that we read that the Lord is near to those who are of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And here we have wicked, wicked King Ahab Brokenhearted over his sin and mourning over his sin, and does the Lord hear him? Dare we say it? (laughs) Yes. If an Adolf Hitler bowed the knee to Jesus, recognized his sin, and confessed it before the Lord, and asked for forgiveness, will he be forgiven? yes if an osama bin laden or a saddam hussein yes if a saul of tarsus a christian killer will bow the knee to jesus and ask for forgiveness of his sins will he be forgiven no no afraid not on that one that that's just yeah and obviously he was forgiven and he was used radically But the Lord sees the hearts of these guys and he saw that this was a genuine repentance that Ahab went through. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite and he just said, man, look at how he's humbled himself. And because he's humbled himself, he's not going to see this calamity come upon his house. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not going to die. It's just that he's not going to see this happen to him. And as Romans tells us, the wages of sin is death. You know, God is very gracious. God is very merciful. But there's some times when the consequences of our sin, they can ruin our lives here on this earth. You know, it it can ruin marriages. It can ruin relationships with kids. You know, it can ruin our jobs. It It can ruin our lives. You know, the beautiful thing is that at the very least, our soul is redeemed. And that's a wonderful thing. Is there times that the Lord restores the years that the locusts have eaten? Absolutely. Is it something to have hope in that your relationships can be restored? And that if you spend time praying like the persistent widow and knocking on the the house of the Lord and saying, Lord, please heal these years that he can do. Yeah, he can do it. But, you know, it's just sad. Those that, that have been involved in sexual immorality, you know. The aids virus they may die of the aids virus or their children may die of stds because of their sin Just a very real consequence of living in a fallen world. But the hope is is that the eternal life is there It's an awesome thing And so we do see ahab humbling himself Uh in this instance the next chapter is gonna gonna cause kind of a you know an interesting Turnout of that um, and we do have time to go through it. So Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 22. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, went down to visit the king, or he was the king of Judah, and he went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? So you have Jehoshaphat, an awesome guy, awesome king of Judah. Remember, just picture Israel, a state, you know, divided in half, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. And Jehoshaphat uh goes and visits uh, King Ahab. And King Ahab, you know, is kind of this kind of this uh not so great guy, not the best company to keep company with, uh, kind of starts saying, Hey, remember, remember Ramoth Gilead? 25 miles south of the Sea of Galilee over in present-day Jordan. He didn't say that, just in case you were wondering where this town was. You know, uh, We should go take that. Remember, that was ours. And that Ben-Hadad guy that I had war with in the last chapter, uh, he took it from us. We should go get it back. And so uh, Jehoshaphat, um, Jehoshaphat said, verse 4, Will you go with me to fight it, Ramoth-Gilead? And uh, Oh, apparently, I, forgive me, guys. Even after all my studying, I thought that it was... Um, Ahab that said that but it was Jehoshaphat So hopefully you guys will forgive me on that error But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel You know I am as you are Dude It's just funny how you know As you go on oh nope I messed up Nope wait read verse 2 Nope that's right okay so Read it for yourself and figure out what it says okay Jehoshaphat said well will you go with me To fight at Ramoth Gilead And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel I am as you are My people as your people My horses as your horses You know We really you know he's basically remembering Well we were once a united country Let's go to war together you know Let's let's go back to those past days Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel Well you know let's inquire Please inquire of the word of the Lord today And uh, you know that's a good thing You know A true ally And a true friend will always say Let's inquire On the Lord you know, let's seek the Lord. Let's wait on the Lord and see if this is really something we should be doing. And so the verse 6, the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So what prophets are we reading about here? Well, About three chapters ago, in chapter 18, we see that Jezebel and Ahab would feed 850 false prophets at their table every night. 450 of those were from uh, Baal, false prophets of Baal. And you remember in chapter 18, Elijah killed all those false prophets there on Mount uh, Carmel. So that leaves us with how many prophets? 400 uh, of uh ash uh whatever the other false god <laughs> ashtoreth and so here we have the kings of israel coming together and seeking counsel from false prophets of ashtoreth and so you know they ask him you know, shall we go to fight and they said go for it you'll totally win but then jehoshaphat verse seven said is there not still a prophet of yahweh here now here we're asking counsel from Ashtoreth's prophets. What are we even doing here? And you can see that that was actually more Ahab's um, doings. And Jehoshaphat, a good king, a holy king, said, Hey, where's a where's prophet of Yahweh? Let's seek him. And so verse 8, so king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There still is one man, Micaiah. He didn't even think about Elijah. He's like, I do not like that Elijah guy. Forget that. Let's go for Micaiah. Micaiah the son of Imlah By whom we may inquire of the Lord But I hate him Because he does not prophesy Prophesy good concerning me But evil And Jehoshaphat said Hey let not the king say such things You know Don't say you hate the prophet of Yahweh Just because he doesn't tell you What you want to hear Doesn't mean we shouldn't listen to him here And you know all throughout You know you read the prophets you read Isaiah, you read Ezekiel, and the false prophets would tickle people's ears and tell them what they wanted to hear. Oh, everything's okay, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, keep sinning, you know. And, and that was not what they were to do. They were to call the people out on the carpet on things. And so, um, and so, you know, who cares if Micaiah calls you on the carpet? Let's hear what he has to say. Our countries are at stake here, our people are at stake. And um, so the... Uh, the, verse 9, then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So a very dramatic scene as you picture it, if you're a picture-perfect or if you're a picture-type person like I am. And so the prophets, 450, one after another, would come and prophesy before them. Then you've got Zedekiah, the son of Chenaneh. Gotta love that name. Chenaneh. Sorry. Zedekiah. Here's this false prophet, Zedekiah, who made these iron horns for himself. So if you're a welder, don't make iron horns for yourself. Not a great idea. And he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so. One after another after another after another 450 times uh, And they said uh, go up to ramoth gilead and prosper for the lord will deliver it into the king's hands So you just picture you know all these guys in this kind of a pretty scene at this threshing floor The kings there in their robes and one dude running around with these horns like This is what it's going to be like you know. And, um, and then you have verse 13 The messenger who had gone to call micaiah spoke to him saying Now listen, the words of all the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and just speak encouragement. You know, everybody's doing it. You know, we've all heard that. Everybody's doing it. Just do it. And Micaiah Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. So, hey, don't you worry. Whatever God tells me to speak, I'm going to speak that. And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth? You know, you can only imagine the tone, actually, in Ahab's voice as he sees that Micaiah, who only prophesies evil to him all, all the time. You know, shall we go to Re- Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered him, and you just hear the sarcasm in this. He answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. You know, just. You want me to tell you what you want to hear? Fine, you know, just go do it. Fine, I'll I'll tell you what you want to hear. And then verse 16, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then he said, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And verse, you want the truth? Fine, here's the actual truth. Verse 17, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master Let each return to his house in peace. In other words, Israel, you're all going to go out to battle, and the shepherd's going to be smitten. The shepherd's going to be killed. And in other words, and Ahab knew this as he heard this prophecy, I'm going to die in this battle if I go up and do it. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the words of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. So just a really a cool scene, you know, Daniel, Isaiah, uh, chapter was it six verse eight? I think, uh, you know, I see the Lord. They say each one of them very similar. I saw the Lord seated on the throne of heaven, exalted and the train of his robe filled the heavens with glory. And the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim were worshiping day and night there before the throne. And so here we have a, an interesting, a different account of the throne of God. That he sees the Lord seated on the throne and, and, uh, um, sorry, someone help me. What verse are we at? 19, thank you. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. All the hosts of heaven were standing by on his right and on his left. Seems like what all the other guys have heard or saw. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forth and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So kind of a tough passage, almost a problem passage. If you didn't look at the whole of scripture of what's going on here, we have this lying spirit or this lying demon, uh, and we see that he... Persuades and prevails, but he doesn't possess. You know, these prophets still have the free will to say what they really want to, but they're they're persuaded and they um, uh, they they speak what this lying spirit tells them to speak. And this is something that we see in the end times. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven and twelve tell us that in the end times, men are going to be lovers of themselves and boasters and proud and wicked. And many are going to fall away from the truth, Second Thessalonians tells us. This is a the whole theme of 2 Thessalonians. And it says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So in the end time, there's going to come a point where people... Uh, believe, you know They have pleasure and they just love the lie They love the passing pleasures of sin so much And God calls them and calls them and calls them Until eventually they've hardened their heart so much That finally God hardens their heart And he sends this spirit of strong delusion You see a similar thing with Pharaoh How ten chances he got And each time he almost repented He almost came back He almost, he almost, he almost And each time it says And Pharaoh hardened his heart and then the frogs came, you know, you know, you know all the plagues. After each plague, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh ten times, and finally it says, and finally God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had already made his decision, uh, but there was just this final place where God's um, God's long suffering had been exhausted, and so I know definitely something. Oh, what? but you have to look at the whole of Scripture, and you see that in Scripture. Um, So what's going on here? Um, How can God send this spirit of deception? You know, we know that that's hard to understand. God is truth. You know, God is true. Lying is a sin. You know, Revelation 21, those that are liars will be cast into the lake of fire. I don't think there's a single person here who would argue that, you know, God is truth and lying is a sin. Um, So how can it be possible that God is using these Little lying demons to go and deceive. Well, you've got to understand that God is sovereign even over the satanic realm. Okay? God is sovereign even over the satanic realm. And you can, at the end of uh, 2 Samuel, we did a whole study how God has used, uh, you know, the work of Satan to end up finally being for his glory. And you can listen to that study at the end of 2 Samuel but you got to understand, God is sovereign over the satanic realm. And he, he does this, and, and praise the Lord, it works out this way to accomplish his purposes. And at times, he actually even uses Satan. Whether it's in the garden, you know, the genuineness of faith was tested. Uh, you know, as you read about Saul, King Saul, the Lord used a, uh, a demonic spirit to chastise Saul, and he just was tormented by this thing because he wouldn't yield to God. It basically, God just allowed this spirit to torment Saul. You guys, under, you guys have read Job, you know, and how Satan was allowed to attack Job so that God might be glorified in the heavenly realm. You know, it was so much beyond what our minds could comprehend. And, and let me just read to you, if you want, flip to Job chapter 1, verse 6. Very interesting account of the throne of God, throne room of God. And just listen, maybe just close your eyes and, and hear the story. Now there was a day when the sons of God, and that speaks of angels, the sons of God, and this could even be angels of darkness, they came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. not interesting? Satan is allowed into the throne room of God. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro throughout the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless man, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? God's bragging about this awesome man, Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his hedgehold and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has, uh, it's in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we just see that the Lord ended up using Job to glorify him, even through these hard times, glorify him in the heavenlies. More than just on the earth, him being glorified. And to this day, God is glorified through the book of Job. But in the heavenlies, he was going to be encouraged. So interesting concept, Satan in heaven, able to walk around. And what's his name? Satan means slanderer. And that's all he does. Day and night, he's the accuser of the brethren. Did you see Danielle the other night? Oh, she was just so wicked and horrible. I know. I saw it. You know? Did you see so-and-so? Did you see so -so? That's all he does all the time. He just accuses the brethren day and night. That's why he went to and fro throughout the world to see who he could, um, you know, to see who he could accuse. But when you read Revelation chapter 12... There's a big battle in the middle of the tribulation that takes place. Michael and his archangels fight against Satan and his angels. And Michael and his angels prevail. And they kick Satan out of heaven forever. It's an awesome thing. It's then during the tribulation. And Satan's cast out of heaven. And he's so angry. It says that he knows he only has a little bit of time left. Uh, three and a half years. That he starts tormenting uh It it gets even worse for people who are on there, specifically the Jews and the Christians. And it says because he knows he has little time. It's kind of like at the end of a basketball game or at the end of a football game. You know, you've got a little bit of time left, and you start playing dirty. You start fouling. You start sucker punching people. You start. That's what Satan is. You thought he's bad. Now he's really bad during the tribulation. Uh, And so you just got to understand, you know, that stuff that goes on in the spiritual realm. And um, you know, we see that. God allowed Satan to go into Judas so that Judas would betray Jesus so that Jesus would be offered up as a sacrifice uh, for the sins of of the world. God allowed Satan to buffet Paul. There was a thorn in Paul's flesh. And it was to keep Paul humble and and to have him constantly relying on the strength of the Lord. Um, In the end of Revelation, you see during the millennial reign, Satan had been kept in the bottomless pit for a thousand years and God lets him out. Why would God do that? Well, because for a thousand years, there's a group of people who'd been born and bred on the earth who'd only known the millennial reign. They'd only known Jesus dwelling on the earth and there had to be some sort of temptation there so that they could make a decision whether they would choose Jesus, good times or bad, or whether they'd follow after sin. And we see that many choose to follow after sin and follow after Satan who's released. But then finally after that, Satan's cast into the bottomless pit, the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. And so it's just stuff that you got to understand. God is sovereign even over the satanic realm. But that's actually a good thing. That's an encouraging thing. He is a greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. So, hopefully that gives a little bit of insight as to why God allowed this deceiving spirit to go, um, to go down there. And yes, we are almost done. Goodness gracious. Are you ever going to stop talking about demons and stuff? Sorry, guys. Um, so, verse, uh, 23, therefore, look, the Lord's put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, Zedekiah, the son of you know who, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. And said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? And does this remind you of anything? When, uh, when Jesus was being beaten with a reed while he was blindfolded, the Roman soldiers would say, prophesy. Who just struck you? Who just struck you? It also reminds me of uh, Paul when he was struck giving uh, his defense before the high priest. Uh, he spoke the truth and he was struck. And so here Zedekiah says, well, then, which way did my did I do a left hook or a right hook or an uppercut? You know, to to transfer this demon from me into your face. You know, that's basically what he's saying. Which which way did it come from? And uh, and Micaiah said, "Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide." You gotta love this stuff. I mean, it's like you are gonna find out when you are running from you know judgment. Good thing he wasn't talking about it. when I am beat you up in your inner chamber you know but um you know he the lord's gonna judge zedekiah so you're gonna find out which way it came from when when you get beaten up and doesn't that response remind you to when paul got struck by the high priest or the servant of the high priest because he spoke the truth paul got beat and and then paul responded and said god will strike you you whitewashed wall you know and he he's you know that's basically what micaiah is saying here God's going to strike you and you're going to be hiding. You're going to be judged for your false prophecies. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return to Ammon, the governor of the city and to Joash, the king's son and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed all you people So, you know, he's saying, you're not going to come back in peace. He's like, I guess I'm never going to get out of prison, and I'm fine with that. But you're never going to come back here. You're going to die. And if you don't, guess we know that the Lord wasn't really speaking through me. And uh, so take heed, all you people. Be warned. The word of the Lord here. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself. And go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Just looking like a normal soldier so that, you know, he won't get killed fulfilling that prophecy. Maybe I'll disguise myself. And the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Kind of funny, they were calling each other brothers last week, remember? And now they're, only kill the king. That's all I want is head, you know? And so it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it's the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. So they came fighting against Jehoshaphat thinking he was the king of Israel, but he's not. He's the king of who? Oh, you guys are awesome. Uh, and so it says that he cried out. The beautiful thing is in uh, 2 Corinthians or 2 Chronicles chapter 16, it says that he cried out to the Lord. He didn't just go, You know But he cried out Lord help And it says And the Lord helped And caused this like Confusion to happen So that they turned And went the other way And so verse 33 And it happened When the captains Of the chariot saw it That it was not The king of Israel They turned back From pursuing him Now a certain man Drew a bow at random And struck the king of Israel Between the joints Of his armor So he said To the driver Of his chariot Turn around And take me out Of the battle For I am wounded the battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out of the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. And so we see from the last week's Bible study that if King Ahab would have been obedient to capture Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, and kill him like he was supposed to, he would have still been alive. But because he didn't kill him and there was still a Syria, they went to war with Syria and he ends up dying because of his disobedience. You look at Saul. We t- talked about this a little bit last week. Saul was ordered to kill all of the Amalekites, all of them. They were so wicked, man, woman, child, donkey, horse, camel, they all needed to die because their wickedness had consumed them. But Saul was disobedient and didn't kill everybody. And so how was he killed? He was also killed by an Amalekite, someone that he was supposed to have completely wiped out. The lesson there is, when the Lord tells us to get rid of something, get rid of it. The New Testament tells us, make no provision for the flesh. Is there something in your life that's still, you know, there's still that possibility of falling into sin because you haven't cut off that source of sin. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, it's going to come back and consume you again, and it's going to take you. It's going to take you. And it took Saul, and it took Ahab, and they died. And uh, verse 37, So, the, and, you know, are you hearing all the fulfillments of prophecy happening? Are you getting all that? So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Again, according to the word that he had spoken. When the Lord speaks it, it happens. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did... The ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the books of the book of the chronicles of the king of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Sheli. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high... Man, if you're not underlining that verse, (laughs) it's like the rare occasion you'll get to underline a good king here. You might as well enjoy it. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense in the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel... Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the day of his father Asa, he banished from the land. There was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Azion geber Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, "'Let my servants go with your servants in the ships.'" But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him, and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, according to all that his father had done. And so I think what we're going to do next week is probably take a little break from the kings and just go over to Second Chronicles 17, 18, 19, and 20, and just do a study on Jehoshaphat and the incredible man that he was. And so we can put our Bibles aside, and we'll just close. We'll, we won't do worship tonight, just since it's a kind of a late close, and, Lord, we do just um, love the Old Testament, God. We love your word. Let's think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, just that uh, we're not to be ignorant of the Old Testament. It's just so profitable because we see what to do and what not to do. These men and these women serve as examples for us. And Lord, I just pray that, that uh, we would be wise and we would learn from these mistakes. Praise the Lord. Lord, it's like you've given us hindsight and we're able to see what will happen if we do these certain things. And so, Lord, as you've given us like twenty twenty vision vision uh, today, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to your word, Lord, where there's unequally yoked relationships or, or the potential of such, Lord, the, the young people that are just, they've got crushes and they've got people at school that they're giving the eye to and all this stuff, Lord, Lord help them to be obedient, God. Lord, just I pray that we would marry those that are just like-minded with us and equally yoked, Father. And, uh, Lord, I just, um, I think of Ahab and how he, had a period in his life that it was a glimmer of hope. But even in that moment of repentance, he ended up going back and and loving his sin more than he loved you. So Lord, I pray that when we see our sin, that we would repent and not go back to it. Like, like uh, James tells us, I believe it was just, it's like a dog going back to his vomit and eating it or like a, like someone getting stuck back in miry clay. And Lord, give us an utter distaste, an utter hatred for sin in our lives. Lord, the things that we're struggling with, I just pray that it would be like like bitter taste in our mouths to sin. We would just abhor it. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.